0: Welcome to Insights, practical startup advice from founders, leaders, and VCs in an easy-to-consume format. This podcast is created by Angular Ventures, a full-stack, pre-A VC firm that backs early-stage enterprise and deep tech companies from Europe or Israel that are targeting global category leadership, an emphasis on the U.S. market from day one. These podcasts are taped virtually with a live audience. To join an upcoming session or learn more about the firm and how we operate, find us at angularventures.com.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Angular Insights. This is our seventh session, and we are very lucky today to have Francesca Danzi talking about the future of
0: retail. Thanks, Anne, and uh, thanks, Francesca. We're super excited to have you. One of the things that that we look for in companies is domain expertise and uh, francesca is nothing if not a a picture of domain expertise i first met her in london i was trying to get some advice on some retail oriented startups that i was working with she blew me away with her insights then and i've kept in touch with her she moved to new york we continue to look at a lot of companies that are that are oriented towards the retail space and and the high-end retail space francesca held senior roles at chanel at burberry where she was part of that company's famed digital transformation at Tori Birch. She's a customer strategist and a digital transformation strategist. A tremendous amount of of insight and experience in helping very large brands and very large retailers think through the implications of digital technologies for their businesses. We're thrilled to have her here. As always, she's going to give us a, a brief talk and then we'll start a conversation.
2: Absolutely. So good morning, everyone. So I'm really, really happy to share some of my thoughts around retail. There's a lot of hype uh, these days. It's one of the sectors that's been mostly challenged by the pandemic. And in all honesty, as we were talking with Gil before earlier, it was already challenged. So let's let's dive into it. I have five key thoughts on this the future of retail. The first one is that shopping is digital. We have to shift our mindsets as retailers, as brands. It is not anymore about having e-commerce supporting and complementing the physical store sales is the other way around. And we'll dive back, uh, into that. The future of digital shopping is weirdly human. There's a lot of technology. Technology is fundamental to the, to the progress of retail, to evolution of retail. But the human element keeps going into it. And the humanization of technology is a key theme. Every piece of branded media is a store. Everything is a store An image is shoppable and Instagram is shoppable and every piece of branded media needs to be treated as a store. So we have a huge uh, proliferation of shopping channels and that will only grow. Physical stores, do they still have a, a place in this world? Will they still have a place in the future? They will, but less of them and with a very defined purpose. More social, more local, and we, we will look at some examples. Move or be moved. There is no there's a sense of urgency right now. The pandemic has, is accelerating change the words that were already needed. And we are at a point where really it is as brutal as either you move on, innovate, or you're gonna be moved. But let's move into it. Let's look at some data, just to put some context. You must have read the reports from all of the major consulting. This shift towards a digital channel is, is, is there. Not only from people that were already using the channel, but from newcomers, people that have never shopped groceries online, that had never shopped apparel online, they're doing it. And this is here to stay. So Accenture estimates a 160% future increase in e-commerce purchases. Uh, from the new or low-frequency users. Other interesting data from Capgemini, is a recent research, is that people who are highly inter- were highly interacting with physical stores before the pandemic, uh, some of them will return, but way less. So the frequency of interaction and the amount of people that says they will go back to stores is going down. Why is that? Because they have found out the convenience of shopping online and also there is an element of fear. We know unsafety, anxiety that will be there for a long time. It is not a matter of two or three months. So you read the news what's happening. Retailers are closing stores. Big brands like Zara, 1,200 stores are going to disappear in the next few years. Microsoft closes all of the stores. H&M also rationalizes because the prediction is that e-commerce is going to make up for I don't know, 25 to 30% of the sales in the next few years. Nike even expects it to go up to 50% of their overall sales in the foreseeable future. What's happening from a customer standpoint? There is so much uncertainty. I'm a big advocate of customer centricity. It all, all starts with the customer. And today, the customer is going through a huge distress, huge anxiety. We're seeing uh, habits and behaviors changing at a pace that are unprecedented. They feel unsafe. They want to feel safe. They're changing their values. They are rediscovering what's really, really important the human connection, the family time, what is necessary and what is superfluous or nice to have, but not really making me truly happier. So as brands, as companies, as businesses, we need to tune into this emotional state and ask ourselves, how can we help customers feel more in control? How can we help customers feel better about what they can do for themselves and for their families? products and services must be an aid to that, right? The way we communicate what we sell is definitely something to be repositioned in that way. So research is needed. Consumer research being tuned into the behaviors monitor what's going on in the world. And, and then have the ability to, and the courage to test new ideas and to have a tight feedback loop. And testing new ideas In this environment, it can be scrappy. It can be. Because the customer, if they feel that it comes from a place of authenticity, they're going to forgive a bit of fuzziness or imperfection. But it has to be something that they perceive a value that is linked to the new values that are emerging. Challenges from a retail perspective are huge. How do we make the customer feel safe again? How do we reestablish trust? Stores are trying to put in place all safety measures. Low touch environments will become the norm. And so here, all of that touchless payment, touchless screens. How do we make the environment a place where I can feel safe? and I need to touch the minimum possible surfaces. That's not just that. It's that there's not going to be much traffic in the stores. So that energy, those type of stores that were relying on the energy of the traffic of so many people and the bus, they have to change their strategy. How do they rethink the space to convey the same or a similar type of energy with way fewer people? How do we think of different experiences that are more one-to-one, more intimate? So there's a challenge from a store design perspective, but there's a a challenge from an animation standpoint of bringing the store to life. Just a little bit of a deep dive on luxury because obviously I have all that luxury expertise and the luxury world is always more resilient in times of crisis, right? Um, What we're seeing here in the luxury space is that, yes, there is a loss. There is a big loss, 20 to 35% loss in 2020. But when we look at the perspective, luxury, the luxury world, world will grow again. This is Bain data. So... Yes, it's a crisis right now, but we know that the ultra-affluent are less impacted by the financial downturn. What is the interesting change is happening in the younger mass-affluent consumer uh, group. Because at that point, we're talking about some marketeers talking about the Harris, the group of customers that are not rich yet, but are on that trajectory to be considered rich, affluent people. Values are shifting. So, even the luxury world has to look into the biggest trend, how to respond to the new values of this emerging luxury consumer. And what we see here, this is Reflont, is actually one of the startups of the New York Fashion Tech Lab that I'm a mentor of. And it's for the circle economy, right? It allows brands to build loyalty through the resale of products on their own websites. The, the second-hand market is booming because of lower income, but also interest in uh, the circular economy. And what are the brands who are going to really rise? I think one imperative is when we position products or service is to think about the benefit beyond the individual. There is conscious consumerism uh, rise. It is true. Uh, values that go beyond my personal pleasure of utilizing a product or service are super important when we position anything today, when we position it to a consumer and when we position it to a customer, which is an organization, because let's remember organizations are made of people and they are going through a huge distress and they are going through a research for meaning, for purpose, very similarly to what individuals are going through. Why do I believe the retail still as a place? Because retail and physical retail in particular still has that social value. It's social connection. I remember when I started my career and in, in Saint Laurent in the beauty industry and then in Chanel, we used to talk about retail, sales associates as style therapists or beauty therapists. Because when you are a sales associate, you work with customers. You end up being almost uh, uh, intimate with them, right? You are trying to understand the need behind the spoken language. What is it that they really want? They want to cuddle. They need to just vent something. Uh, they want to feel good about themselves. And retail has that role. People connect with people. They want to share more than ever today. When we work from home, do everything from home, we're confined in our uh, four walls, like we do want to have connection. And retail has a space for that. And that's why we talk about retail therapy, right? I mean, it's, yes, it's a facetious type of uh, connotation. It's like a bit uh, funny to talk about retail therapy. It's not really a therapy, but when we look at what are the benefits associated with therapy. We we talk about escape, entertainment, rejuvenation, and it definitely can also offer an opportunity to boost creativity, to relax, and to facilitate social connection, as we said. So that is going to stay and needs to be dialed up. And another role is, is possibility to dream. So it's hard to dream in a time of recession. It's hard to dream where you are stressed, you have fear. Retail, so in general, and especially the stores, can come in, step in, and help people in that dreaming ability. And that's why it's so special work in this world. There is actually a social benefit. So what do retailers need to succeed post-pandemic? I've just, it doesn't mean I don't want to be exhaustive of everything, but I think these are really the key points that I'm seeing right now. The first key element is to improve listening and analytic capabilities. We are seeing the hunger for that to make sense of what's going on. Reorganize for enterprise agility. There's a lot of talking about it. Yes, it's not a new theme. These are not totally new thing brought by the pandemic. The pandemic is accelerating trends that were already there. It's giving urgency to change that had to be already initiated, right? Build sustainability into the core of their businesses. There's no escape from that. It is a key theme in the mind of the customer right now. Create seamless omni-channel experiences, humanize digital commerce. So we already started to talk about it. Define a new purpose for the physical stores. Rethink loyalty and look for new ways to grow. Making sense of the world, key. So many retailers, even retailers I work at, did not have internal analytic capabilities that would uh, allow brands to be ready for such uncertainty and change and shifting behaviors. It is paramount to help brands in this listening and they, they understand it now. So they are really rushing into customer data platforms, getting business analytic tools, orchestration capabilities. So it is, it is something that is there. It is a need. Reorganize for enterprise agility. Uh, when we, enterprise agility means many things. Two points I want to really stress out. One is from a value chain standpoint, from a supply chain standpoint. Are you a brand, are you a startup that is helping me as a brand create efficient and agile supply chain, respond to, to, to this volatile and dynamic world? Or are you helping me bring innovation to market quickly. Like how can I innovate, have an MVP that goes out in a matter of weeks, if not months, and and get immediately some feedback and start iterating. Build sustainability into the core of the business. How do we re-engineer the business for sustainability and for doing good? So Some brands have an advantage. They were born with sustainability in mind. I have some examples here, Rodis, Pangaya. It's super interesting to see transparency, how much they are communicating openly and educating the customer. Other brands have gone into it. And I have here examples of Farfetch or Burberry. They really have made sustainability a key purpose. And consumers are are looking into that and they are are starting to really uh, reward that. And from an investment standpoint, these companies, their shares are also gaining value. Or maybe not particularly from these brands because there are so many other reasons why shares can go up and down. But definitely there is value in there. Create seamless omni-channel experiences. Digital and physical are completely intertwined right now. And we are seeing what's happening for retail during the last lockdown months. Brands that are doing well are brands who are enabling people, self-associate customer service advisors, to call, to contact customers, to do video chat, to take products and show them to their customers, to have that relationship, blending the power of the digital channels and the physical channels together. So what is the future there? The future is there's a lot of one-to-one personalized physical appointments when I can choose everything online and then it's made for me, it's selected for me, it's curated and I can go somewhere and just have a truly personalized experience. There is an element of being comfortable at home or wherever I am and just being transported into the store and talking to someone real who's going to just take me around and pick things for me and just ship them conveniently to wherever I am. There is live stream that is booming right now. There are virtual showrooms from a B2B standpoint. It doesn't really matter where the purchase is made, in which channel, at what point. The important is that the purchase is made somewhere and that the channels keep intertwining. Humanized digital commerce. So digital commerce can improve, right? So from an imagery standpoint that you're seeing here, this is Zoom Look. It's one of the uh, startups that are part of the New York Fashion Tech Lab that has an immersive experience technology for high-quality imagery. But there is so much. There are holograms. So there are ways to do storytelling much more effectively in the uh, digital commerce. There is personalization that plays a role and needs to play a bigger role on e-commerce. Definitely understanding that purchase intent, going beyond people who bought this also bought that, is something that is not really true excellence yet and and something that can really, really make a difference from an e-commerce standpoint. These days, platforms like Hero, Proximity Insight, Modest are doing very well. Why? Because they humanize technology, they connect humans to the digital commerce, to the social commerce and they create these omni-seamless experiences. Physical stores with a new purpose. Do we need all these copycat stores, all these cookie cutter stores? We don't. We don't need stores at every corner that are all the same and just offering the same range of products. We really don't. We need places that are going to do I solve that retail therapy role. We need places that are more destinations, where I can connect with people, when I can feel I'm doing good, when I can feel I'm making some progress, I'm learning something. Or I'm just having a great time and having a big like uh, reward and, and relaxation time. I have here an example. So this is an example for me. I'm also a yoga teacher, so I love my Aloe Yoga stores and my Aloe Moves. This is a fantastic way of bringing community to life. And being local, because these stores tap into the expertise of the local uh, community. Rethink loyalty. Loyalty has a new meaning because loyalty rewards through what people value and what people value today is changing. So how do we rethink loyalty and what is it that we want to incentivize? What type of behavior do we want our customers to have, to acquire, to continue with? This is just an example. If you look at Sephora, they are definitely one of the key players uh, with an amazing uh, loyalty program, a very structured loyalty program, I would say, that are starting to add new benefits and just tune into what is it that the customer really, really uh, values at this point. And to close, look for new ways to grow. It is proven, is from a Bain & Co study, it is proven that in recession and downturns, 14% of companies outperform both historically and competitively. Why? Because they invest in the growth areas, because they spot them in the first place. They are listening, they are tuning in, they see the opportunity at the edges and they go there. The best news is that those companies continue to be uh, strong and to outperform the market even when the crisis go. So it is the right time for people who want to innovate. Recessions have silver lining for innovators. On the brand side, the rule of the down cycle is really simple. As I'm saying here, move or be moved. There is no space for survivors, like people who just try to stay there. This is accelerating polarization. Am I going to be top of mind of my customers or am I going to be forgotten? And then really last thought is on the power of imagination. What do we need for innovation? We need the listening abilities, absolutely. We need courage. We need imagination. And imagination and therefore the human element together with technology is going to gain more and more power. Let's open the mind, nurture creativity, nurture imagination, be bold, and move from a crisis management mindset to a more creative and imaginative one because we are going to get out of this pandemic. Consumers can only stay in an anxiety mode for so long. They are craving relaxation, entertainment, they're craving novelty. We as brands, as innovators, as companies, we uh, need to be there with fostering imaginations to help them.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Francesca, I want to ask you, we're an enterprise tech VC fund, but a lot of our colleagues also invest in direct-to-consumer startups. Given this sort of shift to digital and the availability of all of these tools to set up stores and manage data, is the the balance of power shifting between the established brands and the newcomer direct-to-consumer brands in a meaningful way? Can you comment a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So I see there is space for both, right? So for for the young generations, there is increasingly attention paid to the small direct-to-consumer brands. Why? Because generally these brands have a strong point of view and having a strong point of view today is rewarded and being authentic about it is definitely rewarded. But then on the other side, and probably this is again a polarization, you see the big brands like the Louis Vuitton or the Chanel of the world that are still there and they're still having a huge impact on the consumer. So I think that is space for both. When you look at innovation, when you look at the opportunity today to have a voice in the space, even if the market is so crowded, the direct-to-consumers, if they have a clear purpose, a clear mission, a point of view, they can totally break through.
0: Well, cool. I was struck by the observation that a lot of the trends you're highlighting, a lot of the advice you're, you're giving really has to do with the way that the, for lack of a better word, the emotional relationship between the consumer and the brand or the consumer and the retailer has changed. As a result of that, the metrics on a lot of these initiatives must be very difficult to measure, right? And you know, if I have a yoga class in my yoga retail apparel location and I don't charge people for it, how the hell do I know what happened and how do I know, right? For a lot of technology vendors that are trying to show up and traditionally you'd show up with an ROI calculator and you'd have all the metrics and data and so on. How do you sell into that environment if you're you're trying to sell a new technology that might enable one of these initiatives for which there are no metrics? So what's your advice to founders that are facilitating these things that can't be measured?
2: Yeah. So there there are two elements, right? So one is metrics have to change even from a retailer standpoint. With a, with a retail world that becomes completely connected, I have to move away from measuring the productivity of a store just to looking at sales per square foot, right? So there is definitely a big call out there and, and retailers are trying to figure that out. Like, how do I relook at the productivity uh, of what I do uh, in a more connected way so that it's really, really omnichannel. So, there's an element of responsibility from the brand side to change their metrics. From a startup point of view, consumer engagement is where the real difference is going to be made. Because, yes, we can make all of the efficiencies that we want. We can create all of the swift, like ship from store and, and pick up and curbside, all of that, and at operational level. But ultimately, consumers are making decisions that are emotionally driven. So how do you tap into that emotions? What is the benefit beyond the individual? What makes them feel heroes maybe at that very point? If a startup is able to enable a brand with a way to bring their purpose to life, to get excitement, to get engagement, that is a door open. And I had the door open when I was in that uh, position to, to make choices.
0: Cool. From a a VC's point of view, you can imagine, I've seen over the past 10 years, if I had a dollar for every startup that came in here and said, we do data analytics for better personalization of the retailer experience, or we do something to enable omni-channel, like true omni-channel something, right? These buzzwords of data and omni-channel and analytics and machine learning have been kicked around for for almost a decade, right? And I guess my question is, Are they more than buzzwords at this point? Like, can you give some tangible examples of what these things actually mean in practice for real brands? Because how can it be that we've been drowning in data for a decade and we're still trying to figure out what personalization might mean?
2: Yes. So personalization, very importantly, it is, it is not just about like, the product personalization. So if we talk, let's talk about omni-channel first, actually. You have two components to your question. There's an omni-channel buzzwords over there, and then there's also personalization element. So for the omni-channel, i, I give you an example. I, I was at Burberry for six years we did implement the whole omnichannel capabilities, which means you can shop online, pick up in stores, so you can ship from stores, like that is u- unified inventory management. I mean, that is there. When you ask today, oh my God, with this, in this situation of crisis, what are they doing? They're just simply dialing up of an infrastructure that they had already built and they're not panicking. So it's true that these buzzwords have been around for a long time, but how many brands have they really done it? Not many brands and not many brands in a successful way because it it requires huge interfunctional collaboration, huge partnership with external vendors. And that vision to say, I've been, and I've seen with my own eyes, omni-channel projects being postponed because they don't deliver immediate revenue right so having that vision and and executing on it it is not really to be given for granted i I, I would argue that there are so many brands who've actually done it fully it's still valuable it is important it's not even it's not a differentiator though it's not that is just hygiene today in the eyes of the customer personalization on the other side what I'm passionate really about is the service personalization and and the Product offering, person, the experience personalization. What I was working uh, with is a couple of startups when I was at 30 Birch that are using AI to understand of, uh, the purchase intent. Because I may buy, I may look at a dress for a very different reason than my neighbor, right? Because uh, maybe I need to go to a party. She needs to do a Zoom call and. And what I'm trying to achieve will also bring other needs, what I mean I want to have with it, what type of dresses I'm looking at, depending on the end use, depending on what is my aim or what I'm trying to achieve emotionally. That is hard to do. We, we, we did try. We were definitely, so at Tory Birch, there were some tests in place. I know of other brands that are testing. It is hard to really predict the purchase intent. It's what artificial intelligence really needs to help with and a lot more. And it's hard why one element is for some brands, the frequency of purchase is very low. The type of the data is still from one-time customers and it's not that easy to make sense of what they do. Only looking at that, that's one element So the value still has to be proven. And also there is a fine balance between personalizing the experience and then block discovery. So it's sometimes you risk to go the other side and just start, I was just looking some websites that they start to just show you everything that you've been looking at or something very similar. You get annoyed because you want to also be surprised. So I think they're not buzzwords, Some, like the omnichannel, is hygiene. Some, like personalization, that is still way to go.
0: Cool. So we have a bunch of audience questions. Just before we get to them, I'm curious about your own personal hype meter. So two-part quick question. One is, looking back over the past five years, what technology innovation have you been surprised by that you didn't think was really going to have an impact but actually did have an impact on the industry? And looking forward over the next 5, 10 years, what technologies or approaches do you think are underhyped versus overhyped?
2: Yeah. So, something super simple as video chat and video streaming, and this for retail has been a game changer, just enabling that video communication between people in the contact center, in the stores, and customers at home. And that has been going on. We used to have it in in some shape or form at Burberry, but we didn't have video. Actually, it was only audio, and now it's just all out there, and it's making the difference. Something that is still difficult to to utilize in a real, a game changing way is augmented reality. I mean, it's moving ahead. There are definitely virtual reality, augmented reality. We've been speaking about them for many, for many, many years. It is still that something that is very gimmicky and very playful. So there's an element of value into it and there's a value into testing a- again. But I, I would have thought that it would have you know, taken off a little earlier and, and made some more impact than what it has uh, so far.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Francesca. Now we're going to go ahead and turn over to the audience for questions. First up, we'll be joined by Barry Wan from, from London. Uh, hi, thanks, Anne. Hey, Francesca, thank you for your insightful presentation there. I'd love to understand your views on how you see innovation
2: in the post-purchase experience developing. I'm interested in digital, but particularly how we can combine physical. In, uh, sorry, uh, did I understand? Well, in post-purchase experience... Yes. Right. So what can you expand on that? What do you mean exactly? Like in, in terms of following up the engagement or? Yeah, absolutely. I suppose understanding how we can increase users' experience of, you know, purchasing a product, how they feel about it afterwards. I know through email and other methods digitally, it's, retention can be measured quite well. But yeah. particularly, yeah. how do we make that, that receipt of the uh, so it's a very good great question and it's a very hot topic why what is what is one of the difficulties that all of these brands who are focusing on digital commerce are having right now they don't build relationships it's hard to build a relationship where you don't have human in place and there is still a lot that from an e-commerce perspective is transactional it's purely a transaction and it doesn't really get into building that relationship so hard to have repeat purchases. The post-purchase experience is a key, key, key element to open the door for the next one. So the innovation there, it's, it's very, very well needed because at the moment, the only thing most brands do is to just thank you. You've received now your product. I hope you are enjoying it. And the maximum is please review your products, which is actually an ask to the customer rather than a give right? There is more to be done. Keep me engaged. Tell me more. Offer me a service. If it's a high price product, there may may be a a service that you can offer me for free to recondition, to relook at. Give me content. Give me more storytelling around it. Give me more inspiration. I mean, there is an element of how do you keep me engaged? Uh, Keep adding value to that product, and, and keep wetting my appetite for something else that might be coming. But that conversation, everyone, I totally agree with you, is very rarely in place. And it's instead so needed. And it's not just emails. It, all social media are also there for that. You can, you can personalize that, that, that approach.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. We're now going to be joined by Sam. My question is just being that more luxury brands are now investing in their personal e-commerce sites, mostly out of necessity, I would say now, but there's a lot of movement in that direction. Do you actually see a future for multi-brand retail? And if so, what purpose do you think that's going to serve?
2: So if you're talking about digital platforms, so... Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Uh, that is still a place because what what they can offer to the customer is an experience that goes beyond this, the individual brand. Storytelling that goes that weaves into it multiple brands, and also in that respect, we need to look at how these digital marketplaces behave. So mm-hmm. you would have seen the Zalando, the Farfetch, the rushing in, rushing or you know just accelerating their programs to give the customer a point of view. So I do believe that there is still absolutely a space for, for marketplaces like that digitally with a point of view. There is a resale market is now there too, right? You can also buy pre-owned. On farfetch you can buy pre-owned goods. net mm. they um, they're doing other activities. So as long as this marketplace, again, tune into what customers value... And, and manage to bring the brands to life within their own narrative that is a place. The struggle is for the physical multi-brand. Mm-hmm. Because from a physical standpoint, department stores have been struggling for, for a decade. How do you, either you differentiate, so I'm a fan of experiential stores. I, I wrote an article a, a few weeks ago on Beta. If you're in New York, you may have seen it in Hudson yeah. and Yards. Mm-hmm. It's an experiential store for technology uh, companies. So it, it's, it's really just to get the consumer in, to touch and feel, to be immersed into the experience of the product and get some data out of it to better than uh, sell a line. So if there is something that is immersive, that's the, that I'm curious about, that creates something really, really special, then there is a place. But if it's just a big space with lots of different brands, one mm-hmm. next to the other, why? I don't think that is a model that is going to have any future.
1: Right. Thank you. you
2: welcome. Awesome. We're
1: now going to be joined by Elizabeth, who's from New York and is the CEO of ZoomLuck. Hey, Francesca. Thanks so much for a really nice presentation. You've talked a lot about how to and create a wonderfully engaging experience for customers. And I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit more about the possibility for an easy way of creating online imaging to become more engaging.
2: Well, obviously you have a startup (laughs) that is just doing that. So, of course, using some of the products, but there are different products out there. I mean, what is important is to try to not add work to what the brands already do. Brands already have huge photography and video budgets. Um, How can we help with technology to make the best use of what they already have? How can we help in easily providing that content? So we were talking about startups in general with Gil just earlier and, and what is it the advice that I would give to startups to just breakthrough and present and be listened to from companies be very clear of what your integration is how easy and uh, is to really uh, add whatever its imagery video immersive experience possibilities to their website website as something that companies are really protective of because they are revenue uh, driving. So how easy is to implement? What's the timeline? What's the effort required from the organization? Can I test on a couple of pages and, and see what the results is without breaking anything down? So I think there's a lot out there. There's an opportunity for storytelling can I go into the deep weaving of that fabric? Can you let me go in and then at some point open up into the manufacture, into the factory in Italy where that weaving was done? Can I go and see a little bit like the museum experience? I think there is an opportunity, there's a place for that, there is a love for that. People just spend so much time on their, mar- we spend so much time on our mobile phone and that we are curious to see more. I think if, startups or companies that help brands bring to life easily without adding huge budgets to what they already do, have an have a, have a open door.
1: Thank you. That's so nice. Thanks so much, Francesca. So Francesca, you mentioned the phone. So we actually got a really interesting question from Laurent, who's the CEO of Front Commerce from France. And he was asking kind of broadly, what is your take on the role of smartphone for retail and how to best optimize it?
2: Yeah, key, absolutely key role for smartphones from all points of view, from an employee standpoint, so from a sales associate standpoint and from a customer standpoint. The mobile phone, customers want to be in charge, right? And they can be totally in charge with their mobile phones. So for physical retail, we're seeing it now, even this way to pay directly from your mobile phone to scan and to have more of a storytelling around your scan, your barcode or whatever it is, and just have more of a storytelling around being able from my for smartphone to say, I want to see this, this and that, and just connect with a sales associate that is going to put it into your fitting room. These things are valuable. These things are because they're linking the, they're linking the digital and the physical the, especially the young generation, they live with a phone in their hands. We do. So millennials and whatever, we have that. So there's a huge space for that. And there's a huge space from a social, social standpoint to be right there, to be connected. It is not, I don't give the phone to the, the associates because I fear they're going to spend their time on it. They're not going to be productive. No, that's productive time. Be there where the customer is. Be there like reorganize your life as a retailer in the way the customers is reorganizing their life. They are organizing their life. So I think smartphones have a huge power and that's, it's only going to grow.
1: We got a great question from Vernon and he was asking, what are the top challenges for retailers when it comes to e-commerce?
2: So there are different amounts of challenges. So there are definitely challenges from in, from an assortment standpoint, and from the depth of the buy. So how do I maximize my assortment? How do I make sure that on one side I I portray the brand, and so I am an image driver. I'm a dream driver, and on the other side I have that core money makers items that need to keep me going. So finding that balance between the brand image and what then really moves the needle, it's an interesting, it's an interesting challenge. In the US, particularly, the promotional rhythm is hugely challenging. So keeping interest on the website, driving people to the website, often ends up being linked to promotions and that it's hard to maintain it's just a beast that you need to feed constantly right and once you educate the customer on a bad behavior it's very very hard to pull back so i think that is another in the brands sorry birch michael course and 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 case and all of these brands it's truly hard they make a lot of money with with promotional activities and the sell through a full price it's it's not at the level that they would probably uh, want to have and then other challenges again is this that customer engagement it's to really be personable it ends up being transactional ends up being dry when i get to know about my customers it's not that much so how do i build something that is returning like continuous that how can i get people excited and want to to be loyal to me when I don't have much knowledge and I don't have much way to personally interact.
1: Awesome, thank you. We'll now be joined by Antoine. Francesca, thanks so much for your great presentation. One question, your approach is very customer-centric. Uh, which yeah. is understandable and also referring to the question put forward by Gil in terms of metrics measurement and how you can improve uh, revenues i think that next to the customer there's also an important role for the employee so mm-hmm. so how do you measure or improve employee engagement in a shop basically also looking at new yeah. innovative tools that you see around
2: Yes. So engagement from an employee comes with a sense of, like, first of all, share purpose. So mm-hmm. how do I manage, how bought in are they into the overall purpose? Do they feel they're doing something good? Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, not just for themselves, but for a bigger cause. The second element of engagement is empowerment and freedom within a framework. Am I giving them the possibility, for example, I had a great success in China because we just allowed sales associates in the stores to be curator of their own Instagram channels and do on their own without brand supervision, photograph some products and create their own mood boards. And in that way, they had their own creativity side and all, they put their imagination to work. They felt empowered by the organization to go beyond what just the sales associate role is and they just created a customer base, a following um, base that was fantastic. So there's elements of do they buy into uh, the purpose of the organization? Do they feel part of making it? So how much communication there is from a company standpoint. Are they being rewarded just for what they sell or there are more complex metrics? Other things that I have experienced in my life is adding not only customer data capture, but customer retention to the metrics uh, that build success, but also adding cross-category selling. For example, as simple as that, sometimes if you just track sales, are they really selling the brand or are they just selling one category and selling more and more, all of the same, right? More shoes, more bags, or are they selling the brand vision? So Mm -hmm. adding metrics that go a little broader and adding communication, helping them with a sense of empowerment Freedom within, of course, a framework, but some freedom and opportunity to bring out their own individuality into the workplace that is something that has really, really helped
0: okay. great, thank you. Hi, my name is Rob Mann. I work with different retailers on their innovation, particularly kind of big non incremental stuff. so one observation is quite a bit of the innovation has been incremental as of recently and for good reason, people have had to survive and bring the retail to the consumer. My question is, do you have any blow away type of examples at the top of your mind? People who have done either breakthrough or radical innovation that really wowed you. Example
1: of what I'm thinking of is one of the tire brands is now experimenting with vans driving up to your driveway at home and installing four new
0: tires, completely right. getting rid of the retail experience and going direct to consumer. That's the stuff that I'm looking for. Anything at the top of your mind?
2: Yeah. So that, that's very interesting. In the fashion space, not particularly. Apart from brands who are native So so some I had in my, so Pangaya or Rodis, they are completely uh, built on sustainability and and experimenting with new fabrics that are completely recycled, completely green from or or tend to be greener. Uh, So apart from that point of view, if I think about experience, like a a mind-blowing experience, I can only uh, just the usual suspects, obviously the uh, the Amazon of the world and now it's, it's both the self-driving company. I'm expecting something crazy coming out of there. But no, unfortunately, I cannot think of something that is really mind-blowing. I'm thinking about it and incremental, definitely, but not truly really mind-blowing. You're right. There that is, that is definitely a need for that.
0: Thank you so much. Just bef- before we wrap, Francesca, I want to ask you another question. So bit of a question out of left field, but hopefully you can shed some light on it. Advertising has been one of those sort of boom bust cycles from a venture capital point of view. It drove a lot of VC performance early on and and has died off because the advertising universe has changed. And I think we went through a wave of, well, everyone's kind of realizing that advertising is basically an execution business. And then we went through a wave of consolidation on the social media platforms. And then we went through this wave of sort of some tooling and some attempts to create sort of user-generated content that was supposed to be promotional content, whether that was Instagram or Facebook or let's get, let's kind of release ourselves from the creative agency and let's let our users themselves become the authentic experts of the brand and just put pictures of themselves on Instagram wearing our clothes and wearing our watches and that'll be enough. We live in a very strange time from a social media point of view. There's a massive backlash against a lot of these platforms. There are some new clubhouse and some other things that seem to be yeah. maybe emerging. What is your perspective from a retailer brand point of view on how do you fill the top of the funnel with new consumers over the next five, 10 years? Is it, are people going to go back to mass media buys? Are people going to do other online things? Is it going to be organic? Is it going to be social influencers? How is that going to look over the next five, 10 years? And are there opportunities for technology in that domain?
2: Totally. So yes, despite all of the backlashes that are against some of these big platforms, they are still the one people are on and there are just new ones that are popping up. So whether it's TikTok, whether there are in different platforms in different countries that move the needle, the future is digital for brand presence. And again, I think what I said earlier that every piece of branded content is a store that is, the reality, whatever you post, anything, anywhere is a purchase, it's a sales opportunity. So I think in the next five to 10 years, we're going to have more of these platforms that are going to be maybe more local with a particular point of view and purpose. And they're going to be used in conjunction with physical spaces and with communities. So there will be more and more of a, of a, Use and, and synergy between the physical and the digital. I don't see a going back to mass market like mass communication the way it was. I don't see us moving. If anything, we're going towards a more localized type of approach with with a point of view.
0: If you take what you're saying to its logical extreme. It's almost like the physical store, which used to rely on geographic presence to drive foot traffic and and push things into people's hands, is going to be replaced by some sort of handcrafted communities around, okay, we're going to use this location for a yoga studio and then we might sell you some yoga gear, or I'm going to hand curate a community on TikTok about certain things. As opposed to one cookie cutter strategy of let's drop down as many of these stores as we can all over the country, we're going to be hand curating a bunch of these very siloed experiences yeah and rather than have a store manager i might have a community manager is that where do you think this is going
2: that's what that's what i see and for me it is going to be more of a community manager it already is i mean there are already some stores that are conceiving already there are so, sales so, associated that is more more as um, entertainers or discovery managers or something like that right They add uh, some experiential value to to the store experience for me something i'm struggling with and i'm trying to think about right now is the whole Concept of driving traffic to stores. How much money and effort is spent by brands to try to drive traffic to stores? Why? Like the store should be a point where people would want to go because there's something happening there. So the effort is I want to communicate what's going on. I'm going to make it like I'm going to reach people, like, but it has to be a point of attraction. I need to shift the mindset. That store is not there to sell, is there to acquire new customers because it's moving. I like what Doc Stevens says, you know, from Retail Profit. says like stores are going to be there more to move the, the, the hearts and the minds of people with more real-life experiences rather than just being this monolithic, very strong, very in-your-face type of presences and, and all the same. So it's not about driving. It's about communicating what's great that is happening there. And then the drive traffic is to the brand. Like drive traffic is to the brand in general, like create that buzz. Wherever it happens, it doesn't really matter.
0: Thank you. So it's clear that startups thinking about how to sell into this environment have their work cut out for them, but it's, it's probably as exciting a decade ahead of us for retail as it's ever been. A lot of things are going to get reimagined. So thank you so much, Francesca, for giving us a little bit of a glimpse into the future of retail. Thank you all for joining us. Our next session a week from today is going to be with Michael Breakstone, who, among many other things, is the co-founder of Chorus AI. He's going to be talking about tips for building an AI-first startup. So we're looking forward to that. Hope many of you will join us. And Francesca, again, thank you so much.
2: Thank you everyone.